Beautiful. Well, great to be back. And isn't it great to be part of a church family? We're really a family and so amazing to celebrate with Seb and Holly on Thursday in the Hunter. What a beautiful wedding. And uh, if you guys are listening online from the Philippines, uh, we are so thrilled for you guys. Well, we're continuing on in our series on First Peter, uh, which we're going through by preaching it piece by piece, exegetically. And that means that we come to topics that you wouldn't normally address in preaching. Uh, topics that, like today's topic, you might actually feel is slightly awkward for a pastor to deliver, even self-serving. Uh, if you're new and visiting, my name is Brendan, I'm one of the pastors here. And the topic today is vitally important, but this topic is in fact pastoral ministry. And really, the hope is to help us see that this is God's gift to the church. And yet, I believe it's a vitally important topic that we really need biblical clarity on. I remember being uh, in youth and uh, sitting in church and just thinking to myself, what do these guys do outside of a Sunday? What do they do with the other six days of the week? Um, Isn't it just one day? Uh, It was puzzling. And so how kind of the Lord to give us verses such as our verses today to give biblical clarity to this topic. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 1 through to 4 and then pray for us as we begin. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will likewise receive the unfading crown of glory. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you this morning for the beautiful, matchless gift of your word. And we pray this morning as we address a topic that for Aussies is challenging and for many of us is painful, that you and you alone would speak to us. Lord God, we pray, bless the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we might not feel it, but I want to put to all of us this morning that as a culture, we desperately need biblical clarity on the importance of pastoral ministry. There's many reasons why. Firstly, our perception of pastoral ministry has been shaken by very public scandals. Scandals involving abusive or bullying behavior. Steve Timmis and Mark Driscoll. Scandals involving sexual misconduct, Carl Lentz or Bill Hybels or Ravi Zacharias, 
scandals involving pastors abandoning their faith, like Rob Bell or Josh Harris or Dustin Kensrue. And the fruit is a massive loss of trust in the church and of church leaders. More for some of us, we may have experienced grievances from the past at the hands of pastors. Perhaps heavy shepherding or false teaching or public sins of those we've trusted. And all of this fuels the flames of our Aussie culture, which is highly skeptical about anyone in authority. Here's here's a difficult question I want you to consider. I want you to not call it out the answer, but just just to consider in the quietness of your heart what your honest answer would be. Do you feel that you personally need to be pastored? I think our intuition as Aussies is actually to scoff at that. Is to say, I don't think so. You know, are there benefits? Of course there are, yes, but do I personally need one? No, of course not. I've got the Bible, I've got the Holy Spirit, I'm all good to go. You know, we live in a mateship culture, and we don't like anyone to put themselves above us at all. We're all on the same level. And the closer the level or the closer the person is to us, the more difficult we find it. The idea that someone could come in and try to tell me how to live my life, we find that personally offensive. Uh, It's common to hear people say things like, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Uh, Faith is more of a lifestyle choice than submission to Christ and his will. Faith is something that's personal and private. It's a decision I make. It's a life that I live out my way. So we may pay, uh, well, it's been put this way, sorry, by Timothy Whitmer. It's a wonderful quote. He puts it this way, describing our culture. He says, though we may pay great lip service to faith in God, the bottom line of our culture is not the Lord is my shepherd, but I am my own shepherd. Isn't that true? Thirdly, I want us to consider that there's actually a huge need in our nation for more pastors. Uh, For decades, the church in Australia has been in decline. I was considering this week just the National Church Life survey results for the 10-year period from 2006 to 2016. In 2006, uh, the NCLS reported there's 13,000 churches in Australia. By 2016, that number had dropped to 11,400, a drop of 160 churches closing every year. Now think with me. 160 churches closing every year means we would need 160 church planters every year just to keep things the way they are in this nation. We have a desperate need for church planters and pastors. You know, and as, as a church and as a denomination, that's our cry, that's our longing. We long to see more faithful, Christ-proclaiming churches planted. And we're praying that God would raise up more men to answer the call to pastoral ministry. You know, for all of us with so much hurt and confusion in our society on the topic of pastoral ministry, we desperately need to reclaim a biblical vision for what it is and the beauty of it. 
We need to capture once more something of the beauty of what God has ordained in the gift of pastors to the church. And so praise God for the gift of his word this morning. Praise God for his wisdom and beauty in this passage that addresses this vital topic. Uh, If you're taking notes this morning, I've entitled this message, Shepherd God's Flock. And really there's just two simple hearts Uh, halves to this message that we're going to be looking at. Uh, But really, the the burden I have for us this morning is that we would have a fresh appreciation for the wonderful gift of pastoral ministry. Uh, Also, just in my heart, I just have a prayer that even in our midst this morning, that God might stir up in some of us here today, perhaps for the first time, a desire to explore whether God is calling you into pastoral ministry. Well, first point for this morning is this, the shepherd heart of God. You know, before we go to examine the task of pastoral ministry in our passage, we're going to begin by unpacking our text a little bit to help paint a broader picture. I want us to see that pastoral ministry begins not with a task, but actually the very heartbeat of God who describes himself as a shepherd. And as a result, shepherding ministry or pastoral ministry isn't just some novel idea, but the fulfillment of an ancient promise made by God for his people. This is his heartbeat for us. I'm out to convince you that shepherds are a vital part of God's plan for his people. Why don't we turn to the very first verse of our passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And he begins, So, so. Or perhaps better, therefore. Our passage is an encouragement based on the end of chapter 4. And what immediately precedes our passage, as we saw last week, is in fact about suffering. Last week, Austin preached on chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, and the blessing of suffering for the Christian. How it's purifying. How it's a privilege. How it's providential and how it's personal for us us. And so therefore, Peter is saying, in light of God's good purposes, in the midst of your suffering, verse 1, so therefore I exhort the elders among you. The New Testament uses several interchangeable words for the office of elder in the church. Poimenos or pastor or shepherd is one of them. Presbyteros, or elder, that's the word we see here in our passage. Episcopos, or overseer, is the third. Each of these words are interchangeable, but emphasize a different aspect of the office of an elder. An overseer emphasizes the aspect of responsibility. Elder emphasizes the aspect of maturity. Pastor or shepherd emphasizes the aspect of leading and protection and care. And this is an encouragement to elders, to pastors, caring for a people who are suffering for their faith. Verse 1, Peter says, So I exhort you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Peter is saying, I'm also an elder. I'm also a pastor, just like you guys. But I've seen firsthand the way Christ suffered. 
And I know that that last day is going to be glorious. See, Peter is out to encourage these weary pastors as one who was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples and eyewitness of his life and ministry like no other. Well, what is his encouragement? It's a sentence that is so deeply laden with meaning. Verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. See, the primary calling of these elders, these pastors, in the midst of suffering is to shepherd. It's an agricultural metaphor. It's a word picture to treat God's people in a manner similar to the way a shepherd treats his flock. It's kind of lost on us in 21st century urban Sydney. I don't know about you, but I personally don't know any shepherds. It's not common to walk down my street and see someone walking in front of a herd. A shepherd, however, was responsible to feed and water his flock, leading them to nourishment, but also to protect them from thieves and wild animals and danger. It's a picture of intimate love and care and devotion. And this calling to shepherd the flock of God taps into what's actually a rich theme that runs from beginning to end all the way through the Bible. See, in the very beginning, God, in fact, called a shepherd people to come and follow him. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all shepherds, all holders of livestock. Moses, when he fled Egypt, he spent 40 years in Midian as a shepherd. King David, the least of his brothers, was a shepherd boy. More than that, God's leaders are then described as also being shepherds of the people. When Samuel anoints David to be king in Samuel chapter two, uh, Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, he says that he will be a shepherd of God's people. And yet even more amazingly, God describes himself frequently in the Bible as being a shepherd. David famously in Psalm 23, he writes, The Lord is my shepherd. And yet we know how this story goes. God's people en masse turn their backs on God and their leaders no differently reject him and become corrupt until we come to Ezekiel in this horrific passage in Ezekiel chapter 34 where the leaders of Israel, their shepherds, rather than leading and shepherding the flock, are eating their flesh, eating their fat, and clothing themselves in their wool, exploiting the flock. And so God promises new shepherd leaders for his people. And I stumbled across this verse just in my quiet times this week. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, where God says through the prophet Jeremiah this, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Isn't that beautiful? I will give you, says the Lord, shepherds after my own heart who will feed you. God is promising shepherds who will care for his people with the same heart of love, care, and concern with which God himself shepherds his people. And now we begin to see how with the coming of the Lord Jesus, this promise will begin to be fulfilled. 
When the Lord Jesus was born, he was born into a manger. Where? The place for livestock and sheep. When his birth was pronounced, it was announced first to whom? To shepherds watching their sheep. This is the coming of the shepherd king. The Lord Jesus says to his disciples gathered, I am the good shepherd. And time and time again, he shows unparalleled love and care and concern for his sheep. Jesus, it says, was filled with compassion and care for others as we see God's shepherd heart. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And most radically of all, different from all the shepherds of this world that protect their lives to protect their sheep, the Lord demonstrated an unparalleled love and care for his sheep in proclaiming that he is the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He showed us the kind of radical love of God, willing to give his very blood to suffer just to care for his sheep. Well, you might be tempted to think, well, this is all great, Brendan, but this is clearly the end of the story. Jesus is the great shepherd. We live for him all done. But the promise of Jeremiah 3.15 is not for a shepherd, but shepherds, plural. Indeed, Jesus would go on to commission his disciples to be his under shepherds. And no person was more intimately aware of this call to be a shepherd than Peter himself. See, Peter had made an absolute mess of his faith when it mattered most, denying his Lord Jesus three times. And yet no one was closer to Jesus. And therefore no one more greatly betrayed the Lord Jesus than Peter. And when Jesus forgives and restores Peter after his immense failure, what is his one encouragement? It could have been to memorize more scripture. It could have been to do the work of an evangelist. It could have been to develop a better leadership training model. And yet he says this in John chapter 21, verse 15. John writes, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend or shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The Lord Jesus gave Peter one simple instruction, told three ways. Shepherd my sheep. See, pastoral ministry is not simply the creation of a human institution to control people. It's part of the beautiful plan of God to reflect his very heart for his people. 
So let me ask you again. Do you see yourself as someone in need of pastoring? As someone in need of shepherding? Can you see that this is part of God's glorious plan for his people? Well, that's our first point, the shepherd heart of God. But not just the first point. We want to move now on to the second point, which is the shepherd's calling. You might be sitting there and saying, okay, I can see that this is part of God's glorious plan for his people, to have shepherds after his own heart. But what exactly are they meant to do? What is the role of a shepherd? And there are four basic tasks we can see within our passage. And the first is this, that shepherds are to know the sheep. Now verse 2 says this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. See, shepherds are to be among God's people. There's not to be a distinction or a separation. Shepherds should not be unapproachable, living in ivory towers, holier than thou. They should be loving and serving and embracing God's people. Shepherds should not be primarily managers directing from a distance. Shepherds should be among the flock. They should have wool on their cloaks. At John 10, uh, verse 14, the Lord Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Like the good shepherd knows his sheep, a pastor's role is to be intimately familiar with his sheep, with the people in his church community, and to love them, to know them and what they are like, their struggles and their needs, to know who is part of the flock and who is not part of the flock, to be able to care for them. That's why we believe in church membership, not because church membership is written in the Bible, although its principles are, But simply, it's impossible to know who we're being called to shepherd as pastors unless we know who's in and who's out, who's part of the flock and who's not. To know what spiritual conditions and spiritual needs people have, that we can love them and address them. But more than that, pastors don't just need to know their sheep, they also need to know themselves. To recognize that they are part of the flock and therefore first sheep before they are shepherds. See, the flock of God that is among you implies we are also part of the flock of God. Uh, we are both sheep and shepherds at the same time. I like to kind of picture it like, like a, a sheep with a rod in its mouth or something like that, like a sheep shepherd, something like that is the image I have. Um, you know, to know the flock of God is to love the flock of God. This is the language of deep relationship. And part of the hardship of pastoral ministry actually is deeply caring for people, longing for them to have more of Christ. And so when they rejoice, when you guys rejoice, we rejoice as your pastors. When you weep, we, we weep with you. When you stray, we, we find that heartbreaking. And when God moves you on, we feel both your joy in the midst of it and the pain of saying goodbye as well because we care for you guys. And so verse 2, he writes, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. You see, to know Christ and his profound love for his sheep is to deeply love them as well. 
There's no place for pastoral ministry that's just purely out of duty or obligation or being forced. No, love drives pastoral ministry. Love that grows as shepherds know their sheep. But secondly, shepherds are not just to know their sheep. Shepherds also are to feed the sheep as well. Uh, let's read again that verse I read earlier from Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. It says, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with what? With knowledge and understanding. Or in the words of Jesus, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, shepherds are responsible to feed God's flock with God's words. And friends, I put to you, that's a hard calling. That's a difficult calling because God's word is not often what we want to hear. Uh, It cuts against our culture. It cuts against our deepest intuitions and desires. And that's because it's God's word, not ours. He's not from our culture. His wisdom is not our wisdom. And his desires are often not our own desires. And so pastors need courage to neither add nor subtract to what God says in his His word, to teach it at all times. They need to be prepared to feed God's people with God's word in season and out of season, regardless of the season. All the response from people, whether it's well-received or it's widely rejected, feed they must. Why? Because verse 2, it says, Shepherd, who? The flock of God. See, this flock belongs to him. Not to us as pastors. We are just part of the flock. And so God determines the food. This word is what he's given to us. It's not simply a matter of bashing people with the Bible either. Say, come on, get this into you. Or just reading it from the pulpit. No, we've all heard it said that no one could hear what a person was saying because what they did and who they were spoke so loudly. You've heard that before, right? You might even know people who are like that. And therefore, the fundamental task of the pastor is to so feed on this word of God, to digest it in such a way, to be so transformed by this word that people can hear what they are, in fact, saying. See, pastors are to be fed men, constantly devouring this word and its knowledge and its wisdom and its grace to then feed others with it. See, there is nothing more despicable than the image of shepherds in Ezekiel who were preying upon their flock, eating their fat and flesh and dressing in their wool. And so in verse 2, we read the following, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, not for shameful game like those shepherds, but eagerly. You see, in Peter's day, undoubtedly, there would have been a temptation to become a pastor just to survive, just for the money to live off. And today in this city, some instances of this, I'm sure, where people attempted uh, to gain lots of wealth and status. But often I put to you the temptation is more likely to avoid pastoral ministry for the same reason. Knowing that you have to settle for less money than others, less respect from others than you might otherwise receive from your peers. Well, how then can a pastor serve eagerly and focus on feeding others? Well, the answer is simple, motivated by a great love for the chief shepherd. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears. See, pastors are only ever servants of the great shepherd, 
tending his flock on his behalf. And this is such a wonderful privilege to do. I count it such a privilege to be one of the pastors of this church. Because the chief shepherd is so full of grace. To see him is to eagerly want others to know him and know his word and to love him as we've come to love him ourselves. But thirdly, not just to feed the sheep, the third calling of pastors in pastoral ministry is also to lead the sheep. Uh, Many people in our culture, just implicitly, when you hear that word lead, they feel kind of nervous about that. Any sense of leadership uh, implies some sort of fearful, perhaps, perhaps harsh or abusive or oppressive or controlling kind of leadership that just makes you slightly on edge. And yet the kind of leadership we're talking about is probably best summarized by Psalm 23 that we were reading before, which says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's a beautiful picture of the loving and tender care of God towards his sheep, his flock. See, the picture of the shepherd leading the sheep into lush grass, into cool streams, it's meant to be a picture of the leadership that the pastor provides. He leads the flock into the righteous path, the righteous way of living for God's glory. See, there are many ways in which God calls shepherds to lead the flock, but the primary means of leadership is found, in fact, in verse 3 of our passage. Would you read read it with me? Verse 3 says this, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering or literally lording it over those in your charge, but being examples. You know, this is the kind and gentle leadership of a shepherd that should mark all who follow the Lord Jesus. See, the solution to the abuse of authority in the church is not to get rid of authority, but to add to it the virtue of gentleness. See, gentleness in the Bible, it's not the absence of strength, but it's the godly use of strength. The gentleness in the Bible is not a lack of ability, but it's the added ability to use power to love and serve and care for others, to build others up. See, shepherds are called to lead from the front. They're called to go before the flock in following Christ that others might follow behind. We're called to lead by way of dependence on Christ, through sacrificial love, to model faithful service to Christ. But all of this doesn't mean that pastors should be in a special category of super-Christian. There's many verses that speak against that, and none so clear as Isaiah 53, 6, which all the parents know because of Colin. Um, We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. It wouldn't be nice if it said only some like sheep have gone astray. Wouldn't it be beautiful if that was only a rare condition? And yet Isaiah 53 says the truth is we're all sheep. We all have a tendency to wander and we all, pastors included, need leadership. See, there's nothing flattering about being called a sheep. Uh, In my gospel community, we have a tradition. It's called 20 Questions. Every time a new uh, member joins our group, you get 
the privilege of being drilled by our group with 20 questions about your life that they get to ask. It's a wonderful joy for everyone, apart from the person being asked all the questions. Uh, It's a wonderful, rich time. And one of the favorite questions of our group, we love to ask people, it's kind of a weird question, but it's what is your spirit animal? Meaning what's the animal that kind of embodies kind of who you are and what you're like? And I've heard all sorts of answers. I've, we've had tigers and lions and dolphins and cats and dogs. Uh, we've had whales, but here's an animal we've never had, and that is a sheep. No one has ever said their spirit animal is a sheep. And the simple reason is that sheep are stupid animals. (laughs) They're defenseless. We have so many other things as people to defend ourselves. Sheep do not. They are easily led astray. They are dependent. They need lots of care. I was reminded this week about a case a couple of years ago in rural Victoria of a sheep that was kind of cheekily named Barak. Uh, instead of Barak, Barak, the sheep in Victoria, who was lost for six years and found uh, almost dying, such as they were burdened by their fleece that weighed 35 kilos. A normal fleece, by the way, for a merino is about four kilos, so nearly nine times the weight of fleece. And this is what the Bible says about all of us. We all are like sheep. Uh, Dave Mathis, on this topic of the role of a pastor and the pastor's call to lead, puts it this way. Good pastors are first and foremost sheep. They know it and embrace it. Pastors do not comprise a fundamentally different category of Christian. They need not be world-class in their intellect, oratory and executive skills. They are average, normal, healthy Christians serving as examples for the flock while among the flock, as they lead and feed the flock through teaching God's word, accompanied with wise collective governance. The hearts of good pastors swell to Jesus' charge in Luke 10, 20. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Their first and most fundamental joy is not what God does through them as pastors, but what Christ has done and does for them as Christians. Good pastors are therefore secure in soul and not blown left or right by the need to impress or prove themselves. Listen to this. They are happy to be seen as normal Christians, not a cut above the congregation, but reliable models of mature, healthy Christianity. I think that's put so well. See, pastoring does not require perfection, simply mature Christian example. I was thinking this week back to my time as a youth, a teenager in the church, and the effect that one of my youth leaders had upon me. His name was Mark Williams. His name still is Mark Williams. I believe he's still alive. Um, um, I was going through a really tough season. I felt like I didn't have many Christian friends, if any Christian friends at all. And I felt that the, the youth group was clicky, And I wasn't sure I really fit in the youth group. And this, at the time, young man, Mark Williams, he he really took me under his wing. I watched him trust God through huge difficulty in his life. He was uh, just about to get engaged to his girlfriend. He'd bought the ring and then she just left him for another guy. 
Um, and yet the whole time he continued to show interest in me. He welcomed me into his life. He wasn't a perfect example, but he was a profound example. And it left a deep mark on me. He carried me through a difficult season of my life. And I think that's a picture of the leadership of shepherds. Shepherds are to lead the sheep. But finally, not just to lead the sheep, also to protect the sheep. Uh, Read again verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. See, oversight means to give attention to, to take care of with the implication of a hazard awaiting. It means to accept responsibility for the care of someone. See, a basic function of a shepherd is to protect the sheep. See, we live in a culture that's highly skeptical about authority, especially religious authority. As a result, we can be tempted to throw the whole thing out the window. Baby, along with the bath water, along with the bath itself, away with it. And of course, we can think to ourselves, pastors are good to have, but there's no need. I mean, why do we need them? It's just me and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I'll be sweet. A G.K. Chesterton The English writer puts it uh, so well. He says, Religious authority has often doubtless been oppressive or unreasonable, just as every legal system has been callous and full of cruel apathy. It is rational to attack the police. Nay, it is glorious. But the modern critics of religious authority are like men who should attack the police without ever having heard of burglars. You know, attacking to abolish the police ignores the reality of burglars and murderers. And similarly, I would put to you, abandoning the gift of pastoral ministry ignores the reality of wolves, the world, and the flesh. 1 Peter 5.8, just a couple of verses after our passage, Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Friends, do you live with the reality that there is a prowling lion whose aim is to consume you in your faith? See, prowling lions are not a problem for people. We have cars. and We have AK-47s. No problem at all. But they're a huge problem for sheep. The world is not a neutral place. There are many Dangerous toils and snares. The world itself, the culture of humanity, is opposed to God. It constantly says to you, live your best life now. Be true to yourself. You do you. The flesh, our reality of indwelling sin and our own sinful desires, that constantly pull us towards the call of the world and the flesh. And the devil... An enemy who would love nothing more than to pull you away from Christ. To distract you and make you ineffective. See, God has given us a wonderful gift in shepherds to protect the community. To exercise oversight, to give attention to, to take care of, to accept responsibility for the care of God's people. To watch closely, ensuring we don't get entangled or snared or lost like Barak or attacked, but that we can keep following the chief shepherd. 
Well, as we close, I just wanted to end with just some thoughts on how we can respond to a message like this on pastoral ministry. And my first and main thought is this. Please pray for us. Pray for us as your pastors. I mean, the older I get, the more convinced I am of our deep need for your prayers. I pray for protection and wisdom to to help us to know you guys and to feed you guys and to lead you guys and to protect you guys. Also pray for future pastors. We, we long to see more churches planted. We long to see church planters, missionaries. Pray for the mombas who are hopefully flying out to join us in November next year to join the pastoral team. Would you pray for God to do great things in and through our lives to serve you guys and his purposes here? Uh, secondly, the second way you can respond to this message, I would say, is by, for any man here, uh, considering whether God might be calling you into pastoral ministry. It's definitely not for everyone. It's definitely a special calling. But we ought to ask the question. It doesn't matter if you're in youth or a retiree. If you've never considered pastoral ministry, your life doesn't belong to you. And since it's the call of stable, mature Christians, it it means that all stable, mature Christians should consider it, whether God is calling them into pastoral ministry. And I think that's the second way we can respond to this. The, The third and final is simply this. By considering whether we are positioning ourselves to be pastored, do you have personally a desire to be led or fed by your pastors? Maybe you're walking through difficulty or challenges. Tell us about it. We love you guys. We would love nothing more than to stand with you and and pray for you and, and help you. Maybe you're here and you're kind of swimming on the fringes of the church, not joining or being in, but in and around the community. I just encourage you, get immersed in this community. Join this church. Maybe you're walking through a big life decision and you need help. Um, invite us to uh, ask us to, to pray for you and, and to join you and, and to share scriptures with you, to walk alongside you. But maybe in all of this, there's a big glaring problem for you. And that is you find yourself asking the question, how can I ever trust a pastor again because I've been so badly burned? I just wanted to end with this encouragement. I think the answer is by looking to the great shepherd who would bleed for you. The Lord Jesus in John chapter 10 verse 12 says this. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He loves you so much he was willing to bleed for you. He will not abandon you. And he is appointed under shepherds for your good and his glory. So my encouragement is this. Move forward, not because you trust us, but because you trust him. Now, as we close, I, I just thought I'd end with uh, 
a story from my life on this because I'm not the best example of trusting pastors. In the past, it's definitely been a, a growing uh, curve for me. Uh, when I was thinking about moving to a part of Indonesia to serve there uh, in cross-cultural ministry, uh, I was really a solo sailor. I was living like Jesus and me, and I didn't have even a thought of utilizing the gift that was all around me in my good gospel church of pastors that loved me and knew me in pastoral ministry. But God has been so kind to me. I uh, moved across to Indonesia, and while I was there, uh, uh, I felt the Lord calling in my heart for, for me to become a pastor. And through a a friend I became connected with, Dave Taylor, the lead pastor of this church who was in Wales at the time. And Dave opened up his life to me. He loved me. He served me. He fed me. He led me. He protected me. 